Inhuman, The Monster of Cleveland is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence and abuse. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I also forgot to say our introduction. If you oh, want. yeah. Okay. Let's do that. What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, The Monster of Cleveland. You sound a lot better. Woohoo! Okay. <laughs> you don't sound like you're a little bit far away. That's so interesting. I guess AirPods just don't do the best job at picking up audio. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, doesn't surprise me, but still yeah. annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so, first of all, I just want to say why is it so hard to do this? Like, why is it so hard to record? Why isn't there just some easy thing that I know. podcasters can use? Like, Podcasting is not new. I know. Podcasting from, you know, hundreds of miles away is not new. Like, we need to get it together. I know. (laughs) I wonder, I want to do some more research into it and see if there's, like, a way to do it. Like, even if it's something we have to pay for, like a program or something. Right. Yeah. Like, there's got to be something. Because even, like, interviews and stuff happen. And I know. It's not like it's brand new. You know, like, okay. Like, because when I was looking up how to do it on Anchor, it was showing, like, it's it's really good. You can do it. But the the host has to be on their phone. And, like, I have a fancy microphone that connects to my computer, but it's not going to connect to my phone. I know. But the sound does sound better. Like, if we're both talking at the same time, it doesn't, like, cut out like it was on Zoom. So, it, yeah. it definitely sounds better. That's good. Yeah, it does. It doesn't sound like it's delayed, really, either. Which... Yeah. Except we can't see each nice. other, which I, I don't like that. I, I wonder know. if we could, like, FaceTime and just, like, mute the sound on FaceTime. Yeah, we could do that. You want to try it? Yeah. All right, let me FaceTime you from my computer. So okay. I'm going to be recording on my phone and <laughs> FaceTiming you from my computer, and you're going to be doing the opposite. Okay. <laughs> oh, Technology, gosh. am I right? I know. You'd think that it would be easier by now. Okay. There Hi. she is. All right. All right. I'm going to mute it. Okay. I muted it too. All right. I got to plug my phone in. The spot of that. <laughs> Ooh, actually, good idea. I should plug my computer in. I think we got it. I think so. 27 okay. years later, I'm going to turn I... you sideways. <laughs> I know. I just put you, I just split my computer screen so I can see my notes. Because I had to plug my phone in and it won't sit up when it's. Oh, oh of course. Right. Right. <laughs> um, okay. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I am sad that it's Sunday. Yeah. You got the Sunday scaries. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. It'll be a good week. And hey, just think whenever you're a stay-at-home mom, you don't have you don't even have to worry about that. True. Every day is the exact same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. That'll be it. That's dream. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if that was my neighbor or did you hear that thud? <laughs> yeah, I did. Hold on. Let me see if he's like. Don't worry. Telling you, any other time during the week, he's just up there chilling, like 
not even making any noise, but let's see. Okay, that was not him. So it must have been my neighbor. Yeah, that's good. We live in townhouses, so yeah, we, we hear all the things. Yeah, our neighbors are pretty close to us, too, so we, like, really hear everything. Yeah. But it's okay. Um, so you're going to Disney this week. Yes, I'm going to Disney this week, and I'm super excited, especially they lifted the mask thing, the mask oh. mandate, which is, like, bittersweet because, obviously, it's, like, still, you know, COVID's still out there doing its thing, but... right. It'll be nice if there's a moment where we can take our mask off and we're not close by people. Like, we have the option. Right. Like, when we were at Disneyland, it was – everything was super socially distanced. So, like, when you're in line, you're you're pretty much socially distanced. So, if you're, like, standing in the hot sun, it'll right. be nice to be able to, like, pull your mask down and not get yelled at. Especially because you're still going to be socially distanced. Like, Right. So <laughs> – and that'll be nice for Manny, too. Yeah. He does really good with his mask, though. He, like, actually enjoys wearing it, which is weird. Aww. I think it's just he wants to be included. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. He's funny. But, yeah. <sighs> and I'm exhausted because I stayed up too late last night. I didn't, like, I'm not hungover, but I just stayed up way too late. <laughs> and I'm just so tired. Oh, that's rough. It's like coffee's not even helping, which oh, no surprise, honestly. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> what did you I, do this weekend? Anything fun? No. Yesterday, <laughs> I what did I do yesterday? Oh, Rob went and uh, went dirt biking yesterday with his dad, and so I was here alone like most of the day. So I oh. just relaxed. I worked out. I went and got like a, a Starbucks and an acai bowl for breakfast. Yeah. Um, and then I napped, and Ooh. I watched a true crime documentary. Big surprise. Ooh, which um, one did you watch? I watched The Staircase on Netflix. It's a docu-series. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Okay, I haven't watched it, but I know I'm very familiar with that case. Yeah, you it should watch it. It is nuts. It's yeah. so crazy. I'm not done with it yet, but it's super interesting because it's kind of told from the guy's point of view, the guy that's, like, the husband. Oh, um, mm. and so like at first you're like, there's no way he did it. But then as they keep going, you're like, wait a minute, but it's still told <laughs> from his point of view. So it's kind of like very biased. <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah. really good. I'm not done with it yet. I'm like they're I'm in the part where they're showing the trial. Um, so, yeah, it's really good. So I was watching that for a while and then I built a uh, our outdoor lounge chair. Oh, yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, which I'm, like, super proud of because I don't do stuff like that. Like, <laughs> that's not my, like, forte. So it, yeah. it, uh, it worked out really well. It's really pretty. It's back there. It's still in our house. Oh, nice. We I know it is get, really like, pretty. We want to get, like, covers for it before we put it outside just because, like, we get a lot of fog and, like, dew here. So I don't want, don't it, want to it to be some... sitting out there. Yeah, like. Like mildew. Time. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to sit inside for a while until we get those covers. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. All right. Should we get into this episode? Yes. And I wanted just to say one little thing before you get started. Um, like I know in a lot of podcasts, the hosts don't like delve into the details of of what happened to the survivors or the victims too much, um, just out of respect for them. But I also think like it's important to tell their story. You know, that's part of their story. And for me, like whatever Michelle's comfortable about talking, like talking about in her book, 
I included it, you know, in the episodes that I covered from her um, without going into too much gruesome graphic detail. But I do think it's important to, you know, graze over those topics, um, even though they can be triggering. But I just wanted to, like, kind of preface the episode, I guess, by saying that, like, we are being sensitive to that, but we're also just trying to tell their story. Um, so I think it's just important to like get that out there because I don't want there to be any confusion or anything like that. Yeah, so. that's that's a good reminder and good point because I completely agree. Like it's awful and terrible, but like you said, if they're willing to share it in their book, which is like honestly most of the story that I told for Amanda and that I'm now going to tell for Gina, almost all of it is from her book. So it's the right. same thing where it's like if she was willing to talk about it in the book, then... I think it's fair to share it. And we just want to share the full story. That's why we wanted to start this podcast and, you know, tell their full story. Right. Um, And it unfortunately includes a lot of that awful stuff. Right. But I like that. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. I was just thinking about it. So I wanted to plop it out there. (laughs) Yeah. All still fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I was dumb and didn't... uh, (laughs) (laughs) didn't start writing this until this morning. Um, That's okay. (laughs) And I, I have read, I read the book like weeks ago. So I remembered parts of it and knew like kind of the outline I wanted to do, but I wrote this this morning. Um, I finished it about half an hour before we started recording. (laughs) So it's all fresh in my mind. Um, But I just like forgot how crazy Gina's story is. Like, of course, they're all crazy and it's all like little moments could have made a difference and all of this. But Gina right. knew Castro and her family knew Castro. And like some of the things that I'm going to talk about are, uh, you know, some of the, like search efforts and stuff. It's just it's freaking nuts. And like as I was writing it, I was when Rob was here before he took Mackie to the dog park. I was like, this is freaking nuts. And like, <laughs> oh, great. He's coming inside. <laughs> Matt, Robert, I'm recording. You need to not come inside. Leave. Leave no. your home. <laughs> okay. And we're back. We're back. Fiance is gone. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. Georgina or Gina de Jesus was a 14-year-old girl living in Cleveland, Ohio with her parents, Nancy and Felix, who were originally from Puerto Rico, just like Castro was, um, if you uh-huh. remember that from the first episode. Mm -hmm. Um, She also lived in this house with her brother, her sister, and her sister's two young daughters. So there were seven of them living in a small house. Um, Money was tight for the family. You know, they lived in this small house. The neighborhood they lived in was kind of known for being like a place that people go when they can't afford a nicer area. And they had recently moved into the neighborhood from an apartment. So they were like staying there. And uh, Gina's mom actually didn't like the neighborhood just because like it was known for kind of bad things happening there was like I think in her book she talked about how there was like somebody had mugged somebody and then was like being chased by the cops and like tossed bags of drugs into like their yard or something as they were being chased yeah it definitely sounds like that that whole area was kind of you know it's lower income families and unfortunately that that's just part of some cities right exactly so yeah so that was the neighborhood they were in and their car was actually an old nissan that gina's dad had bought 
from her friend Arlene's dad. And that guy is named mm-hmm. Ariel Castro. Wow. That's so crazy. So, I weren't they neighbors too? Is that they lived in the in like nearby neighborhoods and um Gina's, which I'll talk about this later, but Gina's, I think, aunt lived on the same street as Castro. Okay. That's so. what it was. I knew there was some like relation as far as being close. Right. Yeah. Proximity. Yeah. Yep. Gina was a quiet girl. She was in special ed classes after a first grade teacher had said that she was a slow learner. So she was in some of those special ed classes and she would get made fun of for being slow by people in school. But she had recently been doing really, really well in school. And her teacher had actually like recently told her that she could likely soon move into regular classes and potentially even go to college, which Gina was like super excited to hear this because she didn't think she'd ever be able to go to college. And she was like determined to go. She was all about this. So with, with that all being said, I'm thinking now, I mean, Castro had to have known that about these girls. I mean, maybe not, but like the odds are there, you know, right. he could have known that they were, you know, had disabilities or like learning delays because Michelle, you right. know, people stated that about her too. And like, maybe he thought they were easier targets because of that. Right. That's a good point. I wouldn't be surprised. I, mean, I yeah. don't know if that's true or not because I haven't seen anything to state that, but that's interesting for sure. Yeah. So on Friday, April 2nd, 2004, Gina was heading out of school and she ran into her friend Arlene, who she was, you know, good friends with her. And she asked Arlene if she wanted to go roller skating because it was a Friday and they were, mm. you know, wanting to have fun. Oh, yeah. So then um, after she asked her, Gina remembered that she had been like kind of not grounded, but had gotten in trouble for uh, being caught smoking cigarettes in her room. <laughs> And so her parents weren't letting her go hang out with friends. So she decided to, like, ask Arlene if she wanted to come over to her house instead. So they kind of started walking home in the same direction. And Arlene called her mom. But her mom said, no, you can't go over today. And so she told Gina she had to go home. Um, And then this is a direct quote from her book. Quote, we gave each other a quick hug and I start walking home. I'd better hurry. It's still drizzly and it's about a 40 minute walk. If I'm late, my mom will worry. End quote. So they went different directions. Um, Gina started walking home and about a block down the road, a Jeep Grand Cherokee pulled up besides Gina and the man inside like rolled down the window, started talking to her and she recognized him. She recognized that it was Arlene's dad and her parents knew him. She knew him. She had been around him. And he asked Gina if he if she knew where Arlene was. And she pointed back behind her saying like, oh, she just went in that direction. So then he said, can you come help me find her? And even though Gina was like, well, it was just a second ago, like she's right back there. Her Arlene's dad was very like adamant and mm-hmm. wanted her help. And so Gina, not wanting to be rude, decided to get in the car and help her find him, help wow. him find her. So she told him, like, okay, we have to turn around, go the other direction. But instead, he drove, like, straight in the wrong direction from where Arlene was. And so Castro told Gina he needed to stop at his house to get some money. And Gina was a little bit freaked out, but she kind of tried to calm herself down by telling herself that her parents knew him. He's her friend's dad. So she kind of, like, tried to relax herself. Well, that's a good... um you know, indicator, you should always trust your gut. 
because she definitely felt that you know nagging sensation to like basically what fight or flight (laughs) right right and and because she reasoned with herself she ended up staying but you should always trust your gut right i think uh crime junkie says like be weird be rude like don't be afraid to be rude like it's okay to be rude like yes you don't have to be polite and if you see something say something that's a big one too because yes yeah Okay, so they started driving towards his house on Seymour Avenue. And as I said, she recognized the neighborhood because her aunt lived on the same street. um, And she knew like a lot of Puerto Ricans lived in the neighborhood. She had been there for parties and stuff like that. So they got to his house and he went inside to get the money. um, But then he returned and asked Gina if she could help him put a speaker into his car. So she was like, okay, like, I guess. So she went into the house and he told her, like, take a seat at the kitchen table, like, get comfortable, take your coat off, like, whatever. And so she um, then noticed. So from that point on, things kind of escalated pretty quickly. She noticed that he went into the bathroom and was, like, fixing himself, like, trimming his eyebrows, like, fixing up his hair. Yeah. And she thought that was really weird. So she was like, hey, like, you need to take me home. My mom is waiting. Like, I need to get home. Then he came very close to her, trying to touch her breasts. And Gina yelled at him to stop and that she wanted to leave. And Castro was like, okay, but you have to leave through a different door to, like, get back outside. Mm -hmm. So they head down a few steps. And she quickly realized that she wasn't going outside. And he immediately pushed her down into the basement. Oh, my gosh. So Gina began to fight. She was kicking him, screaming, and Castro threatened her that he was going to chain her up. And when he went to go get the chain, she attempted to get away, but he was able to, like, snatch her before she could even make it to the stairs. So she was a fighter. She was, like, really trying. I mean, they all were. Um, But, yeah. And then, just like he did with Amanda, Castro chained her to the pole in the basement by her neck and stomach and tied her arms behind her back. He then began touching himself right in front of her, and when he was done, he left the basement with Gina tied up to the pole. So unlike Amanda and Michelle, he did not rape her right away. And he actually didn't rape her for a couple of months. So I don't know if it was had to do with anything specific, because with both Amanda and Michelle, he was, like, aggressive right from the start. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe because she was younger or she was like her, uh, his daughter's friend and his daughter's like closer to his daughter's age. I don't know, but okay. So, so he left the basement. Uh, Gina was tied up to the pole. A few minutes later, he came back, he plugged in a radio and started blasting music from it. And then he left. Gina was terrified. She was in a lot of pain because of the chains and she was freezing cold. So she just sat there and began to pray because that was all she could do. What was the date she was? It was. Sorry, I missed no, it. No, you're fine. Um, April 2nd, 2004. Okay, so it was so definitely almost, would have been still pretty still cold, cold up in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And she's in this cold basement on like no the cold floor. No heat. Right. Yeah. And she had taken her coat off upstairs because he had said get comfortable right Um, so then the next morning castro brought a small tv down and he like yanked the duct tape off of her mouth and he threatened that if she started screaming again that he would put it back on and he actually like tossed it right next to her 
saying like this is like a threat like it's right here I'll put it back on so he just was like really trying to play like mind games with her on top of chaining her up and like doing all this terrible stuff um so she realized that no one would be able to hear her she's like I've been screaming all night no one heard me so she decides to like stay quiet and she was like the last thing I want to do is make him mad like I'm just gonna stay quiet right He started touching her again, but then suddenly stopped and left her alone again. And the TV was playing and the radio was blaring. And so on top of being tied up, she was like, you know, her mind was like going crazy because of all this loud stuff right there. Right. Which is like, I think we said in another episode, it's like a form of torture in of itself. Right. Having the loud music and yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I'm going to read this part directly from her book again, because it's just so eerie. Quote, why is Arlene's dad doing this to me? I wonder if he was planning this. I've seen him so many times in my neighborhood in the past year. He'd be sitting in his school bus parked on Dearborn Avenue right around the corner from my house and would wave at me. Other times he would drive by me slowly, smiling and waving. I always waved back. I figured my neighborhood must have been on his bus route. Now I bet he was stalking me. End quote absolutely he did that with all of the girls we find out later that he in a roundabout way was stalking them for i don't know extended periods of time you know but yep wow and she actually later asked him if he was following her all of those times and he admitted that he was and he said that he she turned him on how disgusting a 14 year old a 14 year old that is the it's same friends with as your, your daughter. daughter. Yeah. Yes. Uh. Okay. Hours later, Castro returned with some food, but Gina refused to eat it. And he left again, only to return a few hours later with McDonald's. And she couldn't refuse again. She was way too hungry. So she ate it. And then Castro unlocked her and led her up the stairs and actually allowed her to use the bathroom, which was different from the other girls. If you remember from Andrea's episode, Michelle didn't wasn't allowed to use the bathroom at an actual bathroom for months. And mm-hmm. Amanda was, a, like, shorter than Michelle, but still not right away. Right. Um, but instead of taking her all the way upstairs to the bedrooms, he ordered her to get into this weird box and... How I'm picturing it is there was basically a twin bed and then like a box kind of on top of it. And she kind of described it as like almost like garden fencing around it or like, you know, a fort that kids would build that you'd want to go in. Okay. So it was like kind of this weird little like box on top of a twin bed. So that's a small bed. Like that's not a lot of room. Um, so he told her to get in. Almost like a crate type box since it was like kind of garden yeah. fencing around it. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. what I'm kind of picturing. No. Okay. So then he got into it with her in this tiny little space and he started touching her everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then he fell asleep. Fell asleep. Wow. Which is just nasty. What the fuck? This dude is like. Yeah. Creepy. He's yeah. messed up. Yeah. Yeah. So Gina was, uh, you know, later back down in the basement. She finally had a, like an old mattress and a thin blanket to wrap around her, um, but still was freezing, was hurting, you know, everything. So basically she was either sitting in the basement when he was at work or was up 
in the dining room with him, either watching TV on the couch with him, or they were in that weird bed thing. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. So she saw herself on the news, um, and they were talking about her and another missing girl, Amanda Berry, who had disappeared a year before Gina in the same area. And Gina actually hadn't heard about Amanda Berry Um, And she said, just because she never watched the news, you know, she's a 14 year old girl, like, yeah, you're not going to pay attention to the news. Yeah. Yeah. So finally, Castro let Gina write a letter to her family after she had been asking for a while. But he basically told her, don't say where you are or who who you're with. And just like Amanda, um, I was talking about this in Amanda's episode, she just wanted her family to know that she was safe and alive, like. She, you know, just wanted them to know she was okay. And don't Um, give up. Like, keep looking for me. (laughs) Exactly. So she wrote the letter and then he chained her back up saying he was going to go mail the letter. And he chained her up with a padlock in the dining room, kind of in the weird bed thing. And she had a thought to try to pick the lock. So she grabbed a pencil and started picking it. But the pencil broke and Castro came back in and basically he was testing her. To Mm -hmm. see if she'd try to escape, which we know he did with the other girls. Um, And she was like so upset and he threatened her to not do that and not try anything. And he was like, I'm not going to send your letter now because you tried to escape, which he probably wasn't going to send the letter anyway. But at least she had some hope. And then he like handed it back to her and was like, sorry, not sending it. Wow. Um, So eventually Gina asked Castro if she could stay in another room. The basement was just cold and dark and she was sick of it. And he told her, I just have to fix up a room upstairs. And then two days later, he took her upstairs for the first time. So Gina was now in the yellow room, um, chained to a radiator, just like the other two. Mm -hmm. But she still had no clue that the other two were in the house. Wow. So one day Gina in this new room was watching some news coverage about Amanda Berry and she realized that there's a photo of Amanda hanging on the mirror in this new room. And she asked Castro about it and he claimed that she was his ex-girlfriend, but Gina does not believe him (sighs) and starts to realize that he probably kidnapped her. And she kept pestering him about it. She was very strong-willed and like, you know, wasn't going to take any shit from him as much as she could avoid it. So she kept pestering him and he actually finally admitted that he has Amanda and he takes Gina to see her. And from my understanding, I don't know if Amanda saw Gina in this instance or not. Um, But basically he like opened Amanda's door and then like shut it pretty quickly. So he didn't let them talk. He was just showing Gina like, look, I have her. Here she is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then he told Gina how she described excitedly that he had, quote unquote, quote, another one, end quote. So right. he was like excited. to Michelle. Yeah. So then he showed her Michelle as well. And she knows for sure Michelle didn't see her because she was like sleeping, turn- facing another way or something. So Michelle mm-hmm. didn't see her at that point. I'm sure he was excited because at this point it's been what, two years, two and a half years since Michelle's yep. um, kidnapping. And he's gotten away with it this long. So yeah, he's cocky yes. as fuck, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so now I'm going to talk a little bit about the initial search for Gina. 
Um, her parents were firecrackers, just like Amanda's mom and sister were, and they were determined to find her. That's so awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Gina's mom, Nancy, knew that something was up when she wasn't home by like 4 p.m. on that Friday. But when she called the police, just like in all these other cases and tons of other cases we've heard, their initial response was, you know, she probably is just off with her boyfriend somewhere. Nancy was like, she doesn't have a boyfriend. She was insisting she wouldn't just not come home. And she asked them to issue an Amber Alert. But they were convinced that she wasn't actually missing. So frustrating. Like, they have nothing to lose. It takes minimal effort to put out out an Amber Alert. Right. Right. And we've talked about this before. Like, mothers know. They know when something's up. So You know your child. That's, yeah, most of them. The good ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but things kind of went a little bit better for uh, Gina's case. The next day, a Cleveland police lieutenant, Marge Laskowski, I believe is how you pronounce it, drove to the De Jesus household and spent time talking to Nancy. And Marge just knew something felt different. She was like, this is not normal. There's something up here. So back at the police station, she told a detective, like, she said, quote, this is bad. So she just knew. Mm -hmm. Um, But the detective replied that she was still sure that Gina would return. And this made her super angry, especially because she suspected that if Gina had lived in a wealthy suburb, the response would probably have been different. Absolutely. She was just angry. So she took initiative and went straight to the district commander, who then immediately assigned detectives to work the case. So... At least it was a little bit faster. Thank God for people like Marge and a few of the others in the police department um, because it it definitely took a turn. So Detective Brian Heffernan heard about Gina's abduction and he immediately thought it happened again. Like he was like, oh my God. They're connected. Yeah. Yeah. So he called an FBI agent that had been working on Amanda Berry's disappearance and that those two, Heffernan and this agent, who was named Til- Tim Kalanick, along with another FBI agent, Phil Torsney, went to talk to Nancy and Felix, Gina's parents, on Sunday morning. So this was about like 36 hours after Gina had disappeared. So pretty quick, considering how a lot of missing children cases go. Um, so Torsney, who was a different... Uh, FBI agent, he hadn't been working directly on Amanda's case, but he did know about it. He just had a bad feeling when he heard the details about Gina's disappearance. Um, Obviously, they couldn't yet conclude that it was the same person that took them, but there were just too many similarities to assume that they weren't related. Right. Yeah. So Gina's abduction quickly became huge news. Police officers were searching everywhere for her. Um, That following Monday, students at Gina's school were interviewed and they told police that they saw a suspicious white two-door car on Friday near the school, but police couldn't identify it. And I don't even know if his car was white or not. I don't think it was his car. I don't think so either. So here's another super creepy and like screwed up part. You need to make sure your surveillance cameras are working. Yeah. So they obtained surveillance footage from the school and they questioned every single person that appeared on those tapes. 
But the camera at the school's main door had been out of order. And guess who that camera would have caught walking into the school that day? Oh, let's guess. <laughs> yep. Why is it always the faulty camera? It's I know. Tale as old as time, the faulty camera. Yep. So uh, Castro had walked into the school that day and the main camera would have caught him and they would have interviewed him. Who knows if they would have you pursued know, it. Yeah. Yeah. But they would have interviewed him. Yeah. And he even talked to a security guard that day asking if the security guard knew where his daughter was. But because Castro worked for the school district, the security guard didn't like question it and didn't mention it to police because he didn't think anything of it. Right. So police and Gina's family spent days after her disappearance searching, putting up flyers, doing everything they could. Early on, they actually focused on Fernando. And I don't know if it's, I'm assuming it's Colon, but I could be just making an assumption. Is it C-O-L-O-N? Yeah. I think it's Cologne, but okay, yeah. yeah. So he was Arlene's stepfather, but he passed a lie detector detector test and they found no evidence and later on he actually claimed that he told the fbi agents that they should question ariel castro i heard that too yeah so he claims that but the fbi agents insist that he never mentioned castro who knows so the two fbi agents spent a lot of time searching for her and they just had an eerie feeling that amanda was taken by the same man Um, they spent a lot of time with both families and they actually eventually set up surveillance in an apartment across the street from where Gina had been taken. Um, but unfortunately the man who lived in the apartment stole the equipment that they set up. He claimed it was a burglar, but like, Oh my God, but it never led anywhere. And honestly, I don't know if it would have, because it wasn't like the house was right there and Castro lived in the neighborhood. So I don't think they'd necessarily think it was suspicious. Yeah. So this is another part that really, really freaks me out. And I haven't heard this anywhere else. Um, I'm going to do my best to explain it. And I'm going to quote a couple of parts. Um, But it is just so freaking creepy. Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, on April 16th, 2004. So this was like two weeks, I think, after uh, she had been taken. Um. Angie Castro, who was Ariel's older daughter, um, returned to her new home with her husband to a message on their landline answering machine. And only two people knew their new number because they had just moved, Angie's mom and her dad. So the message at first seemed like it was a pocket dial, but then they heard a young woman screaming, get away from me. And did nothing? And did nothing? Okay. They called the police. (laughs) Um, and the police said it was probably a prank call, but Angie was like, wasn't there a girl that went missing? And she wondered if the person on the line was Gina or someone holding her. But remember, only two people knew the number. So this is a direct quote. Quote, the officers called a detective to come out and listen to the tape. After making a recording of it, he asked Angie if Gina had ever been to her house. Angie said she didn't know Gina and that Gina would have no way of knowing her phone number, end quote. So they sent the tape to the FBI, who played it for Gina's mom, who thought that is definitely Gina's voice. And they were able to trace the call to a woman's phone, which had been lent to her boyfriend, 
who was at a family party at the time of the call with his two teenage kids and their friends who had been making prank calls. Uh. So that's where it, that's where this ended. So I get that they traced it and it went to this dead end and there's no way. And like, maybe that could be an explanation, but just the fact that two people knew her phone number, like you'd think that they'd at least question those two people. Yeah. Like, and the knowing- fact that Gina's mom said that's, that's her voice. Yeah, exactly. I have like chills right now. Seriously. Yeah. No, I know. So close. Uh, so close. So many times. I know. And after Castro was arrested, both Nancy, Gina's mom and Angie agreed that there's no way it was a coincidence and they can't shake off the thought that it could have been Angie's father accidentally calling her while holding mm-hmm. Gina and Amanda in captivity. So yeah. it's like, it just baffles me. And I get that it's hard to make it go nowhere. And, you know, obviously 2020 is like hindsight, like hindsight. <laughs> thank you. Hindsight yeah. is 2020. Like now it's like, well, duh, only there were only two people that knew the phone number and that's who, but it's just like, come on. Like, really? You're not exhausting those two. Yeah. Exhaust all your efforts. And I, and I do have, you know, a, a sliver of sympathy for police forces because often they're understaffed and overworked and underpaid and all the things, but sometimes they just plain and simply do not give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, plain and simple. They just don't. And yeah, they think so-and-so ran away. So-and-so, you know, might be on drugs somewhere. So-and-so did this, did that. And it's just like, I don't care. Like exhaust your efforts. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah. So as time went on, um, Nancy and Felix never gave up. They kept looking for Gina. Um, Nancy would continue to pass leads on to the police, but nothing ever led anywhere. Um, and here's another creepy coincidence in May of 2004. Castro's younger son, who was also named Ariel, he was studying journalism at a university nearby, and he actually interviewed Nancy to write a story about Gina's disappearance, and it later appeared in the paper. So Castro's son literally wrote an article about a girl that Castro had kidnapped. That is insane. That is like, what is that word? There's like a phrase or something that describes that. I don't even know. It's so inter- <laughs> intertwined and intertangled and, but no yeah. one knew, but no one knew. Yep. And I didn't even know he had sons. I missed yeah. that, that whole thing. I don't know how, but yeah. Okay. So back to Gina being held captive. Um, so in May, after being held captive for two months, Castro raped Gina for the first time. So Gina was only 14 she was a virgin, and that made Castro even more excited. Uh-huh. Um, and he said to her afterwards, quote, now you'll never forget me. I was your first, and you never forget your first, end quote. That, that literally make, make, makes me want to vomit. That makes my blood boil. That yeah. makes my blood fucking boil, because that's, that's true. I mean, it yeah. is. Never mind. I mean, she would have never forgot him regardless because of all the things he did to those girls. But right. that is such a... I don't know, a special thing, I guess, for someone to give to someone else. And he just took it from her. And that's yeah, vile. so, so fucked up. Like he, he was living in this world where he thought he was this amazing person and wasn't doing anything bad. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, 
he was the like professional horn tutor. Like he tutored his own horn every chance he got. Oh yeah. But he was really actually like disgusting. Mm-hmm. Very. Okay. So then later that month, Castro asked Gina if she wanted a friend. And um, at first he was actually like, I'm going to kidnap your friend Chrissy for you. So you have a friend. And Gina was like, no, don't do that. Like, I don't want her here. And luckily yeah. he backed off of that. But wow. he then told her that he'd bring one of the other girls in to come be with her. And she had seen Michelle downstairs a few times, but they had never talked. So then he brought her over to Michelle's room um, and said, like, you guys can talk, but you have to pretend to be my daughter. And so Gina entered Michelle's room and says, I'm Emily. And Michelle introduced herself. Um, and I think, I don't know if I read this somewhere or if you told me this, but I think Michelle was like, well, I know Emily and you're not Emily. Like, didn't say that out loud, but knew. Yeah, she, yeah, she knew his his oldest daughter. I think he, she knew both of the older daughters. I don't think she knew who okay. the younger one was, but yeah, I yeah, I think she saw right through that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they talked a bit, but then Castro like cut them off, deciding that it was enough for the day. Um, but from that point forward, they kind of started spending more time together, and that's where we will pick up in next week's episode. Yay. It's gonna be it's gonna get crazy, guys. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna really dive into their time in the house together and we're going to try to cover all of their stories um, collectively, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going to, obviously it's going to get worse before yeah. it gets better, but then yeah. it'll get better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's a totally different dynamic once they started interacting because Castro really tried to like pin them against each other. But then like Michelle and uh, Gina became closer because he, as you'll find out, he kept them together for years and years, um, but then tried to pin Amanda against them and them against Amanda. Like he really tried to convince them that they hated each other and all this stuff. And like, he was controlling every aspect of their life. So of course they believed him. Um, But yeah, I feel like it kind of went from the three of them just being held captive to like them having to accept that this is what their life was now. And like, if they were going to get through it, they had to like band together and survive through I it. I know. I wish they would have done that sooner. I mean, obviously like hindsight, like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you, yeah. you never know what you'll do in that situation, but I wish they would have done that sooner. Cause they, maybe they could have, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And there's escaped, actually, but... there's a part where, and I told you this earlier that you hadn't heard this, that they were all in the basement together. Um, mm. And it was because he had, I don't go into more detail, obviously, in that episode, but he had uh, people over or like his family over and then they wanted to see the basement where the girls were being held because they wanted to go upstairs. And so he actually took them out to his van in the garage and they almost escaped. Like Amanda almost pushed on the gas pedal and like they could have got out of there. Yeah. Yeah. I did hear about that. I did. and, And didn't his like nephew or his grandson or somebody see them yeah (sighs) yeah it's just so crazy how they slip through the cracks so many times i know it's wild well you did an excellent job thank you telling gina's (laughs) backstory and like 
you know, her, how her parents fought for her and stuff. And Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, they're all sad, but it's just insane, like how young she was and yeah. how close she was to Castro before and how close their right. family was to Castro. So it's creepy. It is. Ugh. So, yeah, if you guys um, enjoyed this episode or enjoy our podcast, be sure to leave a, like, rate and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Um, It really helps us out if you leave us a review, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. And, you know, if there's things you want to hear more about, um, maybe we have more details about stuff. So if there's things you're curious about, leave them there, or you can DM us on Instagram at inhuman underscore podcast. Yes. And do not forget to subscribe yes. on your favorite. I always say your favorite podcast platforms, but you know, there's lots of them out there. So I'm sure yeah. you have your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I like exactly. Apple podcasts. <laughs> Same. I like Apple too. I think most of our views are from Apple and Spotify. Yeah. Um, so we're, but we're on all the platforms. So we're everywhere. We're on Instagram. We're yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, be sure to subscribe. That way you'll get a notification when we have a new episode. We've had a couple of people tell us that they want like more episodes at once. I know. So I wish we could release like all the episodes at once, but we need yeah. time to uh, tell Prepare. the story. Yeah. Um, and we already kind of have thoughts and plans for what we're going to do after this story. So yes, moving forward in the future, yes. we have some exciting ideas and Things we might have you guys vote on. We don't know. Yeah. And we like are just loving doing this. And, you know, everybody, we appreciate all the kind like support. And, you know, you guys seem to be liking this. And I hope that you are. So that means a lot to us. And we're having a blast doing this. And we want to keep doing it. So, yes. It's so much fun. It is. Uh, so yeah, keep sharing, subscribing. Um, you know, I've seen a couple people that have like shared with their friends about this podcast and that just like warms my heart because that means that you truly enjoy it. I know. I love it. You guys are so awesome. Thank you for supporting us. We really do appreciate it. We do. Yeah. Yeah. You guys should like post on, if you post, if you listen and post on your Instagram story, let us know so we can see that you're listening because it means a lot. We'll reshare it. Yeah. To our, like, 40 followers on, yeah. uh, on our podcast Instagram. But if you tag us individually, too, then we'll reshare it to Yes. Oh, manager. yeah. My, my per or my, not personal, but my <laughs> Instagram is at Andrea Shananigans. And mine is uh, at Robin Haley. And I'll, I'll put those in the show notes so that you guys can see them. Um, but we'd love to be friends with you and hear more from you guys. Yeah. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Next time on Inhuman, the monster of Cleveland. The next day was when he moved Michelle from the blue room back to the pink room. Um, And when she arrived in that room, there were more chains and there was like trash, like food trash all over the floor. She actually stated in her book that it looked like he was eating in that room like every single day. That's how much trash that there was. Ew. So from Amanda's perspective, she estimated that they probably saw each other about 10 times in the entire first year she was there. One time when they were in the kitchen together, Castro went into the other room and Amanda told Michelle her name. And Michelle was like, yeah, I know I've seen you 
on the news, but then Castro came back. So again, they couldn't have much conversation. We just want to thank you guys so much for listening. To see key photos from this episode, along with some behind the scenes, follow us over on Instagram at inhuman underscore podcast. If you're loving the podcast, let us know by subscribing and leaving us a review. It lets iTunes and other platforms see that you're enjoying our content so we can be discovered by new listeners. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode. Until then, keep it human.